Welcome to the Pre-Vet Pausecast. I'm Alex Avellino, your tour guide on the journey to becoming a veterinarian. Listen along as we provide you with tips, tricks, and tales on applying to veterinary school. Welcome back to the Pre-Vet Pausecast. I'm Alex Avellino, and today we have Dr. Julie Wurz, who is a clinical assistant professor in the Small Animal Hospital. She works with students. She teaches students. She works with clients. Dr. Wurz, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. So I wanted to have you on because I know you work heavily with the first-year students in the clinical skills course. Yeah, it's it's a real exciting opportunity to help bring everybody up to being more comfortable when they enter into clinics so that they can actually concentrate on the learning side of clinics instead of, oh my gosh, am I going to hit this vein? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so we want to prepare them. And before we get into how we prepare our students, will you tell our pre-vet students how you prepared to go to vet school? What was undergrad like? What was your major? How did you know you wanted to be a veterinarian? So for me, I I actually was kind of an on-again, off-again pre-vet student and pre-med student. Couldn't quite figure out which one I was doing. Yeah. Um, when people would look at my resume and look at my major, which was zoology, they were all saying, you look like you are pre-vet. And I was determined I was pre-med. And then finally, after going through the application process, I decided I got an acceptance letter to med school and decided not to go. Oh, my. Um, and immediately applied over to vet school. Oh. So, um, I took a two-year gap okay. in between undergrad, which was really healthy mm-hmm. and really benefited. I think it benefited my application as well because it gave me a, a bit more. I had a, a year of working at a human hospital and I had a year of working in a veterinary hospital okay. um, and just kind of put all of that together. So she would have been a non-traditional student because she didn't go right from college to vet school. I get a lot of students asking if it's okay to take a year off or a growth year or two or more. And we really like students who take some time off. Um, what have you noticed about students who are maybe non-traditional in the clinic? Do you notice a difference between those students? I do. I do. I notice a, a bit of a difference in, in kind of how they approach things. Mm-hmm. They're They're less stressed necessarily about what the grades are specifically doing mm-hmm. and more more focused on <clears throat> on what they really need for the long-term goal of being a veterinarian of learning for learning for their patients down the road instead of just for the exam and so we do see a bit of that change in between the traditional and non-traditional students yeah that makes a lot of sense because students <coughs> coming out of undergrad really are so focused on grades and getting to that next step which they hope is vet school, that taking that time off hopefully changes the mindset, yeah. makes it a little bit more real-world practical. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all about what clinical skills is as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, did you do any internships or residency programs before coming to work at the vet school? I did not. So when I, after I graduated vet school, I went into private practice and worked in private practice for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, had two of those where I was kind of running a practice and got some of that experience. Um, and then I came in and was doing half-time at primary care and dentistry while we were growing the practice from a single doctor to a one-and-a-half doctor, and that was over a decade ago. And we've now grown it up to being a five-doctor practice. I think it's really cool to hear. We have a lot of our faculty members come on who had to do internships and residencies for their mm-hmm. specialty, but it's so cool that you got real-life practice before you came to vet school, went out, had that real-world practice again, and now you get to teach and work in the hospital. 
So it's a lot of that real world training that I'm sure the students need to hear. Yeah, yeah, being able to, and I mean, even in primary, when we're in primary care and rounds, as well as in cleanse skills, having those those outside of the ivory tower experiences mm-hmm. to draw on makes it makes it a little bit more realistic for for everybody, um, but also puts things in perspective. Perspective, I think, is important because sometimes we say that when you go to UF or other big vet schools, it's like the Cadillac hospitals. Like Mm -hmm. you're seeing all these really expensive toys. And by toys, I mean MRIs and CT scanners and all of that. But um, maybe clients who can afford that high quality care. So if you go out into the real world practices, you get to see a lot more, I would say, of maybe low-income families. You get to see how to make do with what you have. And what do we think about those types of experiences for pre-vet students? I think those are great because it really teaches you how to think outside of the box. And a big part of being a general practitioner, not in our our ivory tower or in our Cadillac hospital, is dealing with that person that walks in and has 50 or 80 bucks that they can put into making this really sick animal healthy. And so you've really got to learn to essentially MacGyver your way through certain things always try to do the best that you can and offer the best that they can afford to do, but also don't get to not be frustrated. And that's something that we yes. we try to explain in, in over at the vet school, but it's also a little bit harder to put into practical terms because so many of our clients are those a little bit, you know, more, more willing to do, mm-hmm. to do the big things than what you see necessarily in private practice. And that's not to say that in private practice, I didn't have people who were totally willing to go the Cadillac sure. route. Yeah. Um, but we definitely proportionally. And I think that's one of the biggest issues I hear from recent graduates that we've trained them in this hospital where they get to do so many things. They learn so many techniques and trainings and they go out into, um, like private practice where they're an associate veterinarian and they can't do the things they were trained to do because Mm -hmm. they have clients who maybe can't afford it or don't understand. And that client communication education piece is so important. So that's why clinical skills is so important Mm -hmm. for our students to learn how to work with all types of clients. So can you tell me what drew you to helping develop the clinical skills course? Why do you think it's important? So working, what drew me to it was being able to teach people how to, how to do those, those kind of technician things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I adore my technicians and you know, when I was when I was pre-vet and and doing my technical work, I was often training my techs. And as a vet, I was often training my techs in private practice. And that was always kind of my passion: is making sure everyone could cover each other, be able to do similar things, and be comfortable in doing that. And watching students my first few years at the vet school, they had a clinical skills course, mm-hmm. but it was essentially two days to learn everything we're now able to teach over for. Semester. Oh, two days. Oh, God. Yeah, for the, on the small animal side. Yeah. Um, and so we would do physical exams as a crash course in one day. Mm. And so you, you get the idea for what it is, but you don't really get super comfortable with it because you're not breaking it down and working on it time after time. And so that is really what we're seeing with the clinical skills courses, that ability to have repetition, get that comfort level up. And we've seen, and, and the students that were graduating as the course was developing, they kept talking to us about how jealous they were that they didn't get yes. what, these, what the new guys got, um, which they, none of us did, none of them took us up on the opportunity to just fail and start over. <laughs> um, I'm shocked. <laughs> shocking. 
Um, but they were definitely very jealous of, of the opportunity to have that because they, they recognized and, and we recognize in the students that they're no longer going, oh, my gosh, how do you find a vein? Right. And they're more focused on why am I doing what I'm doing and getting that doctor sent. So you're mentioning, like, vet techniques and technicians and skills. What would you say are the top five skills that a student needs to know before going into practice that are, like, technical skills? I would say first and foremost is communication. And oh, that, yes. That's good one. That's enough to actually take up two slots because yeah. one would be verbal communication. Well, actually three. One would be your verbal communication yeah. is, is super key because there's oftentimes when you're just communicating on the phone. Mm. And if, you're, if your verbals aren't there, there's a lot of room for error. Yes. We don't realize necessarily how much of our body language is involved in communicating. Mm-hmm. And so body language is the second most important thing okay. as far as just when you're in that exam room, if you're sitting with your legs crossed mm-hmm. and your arms crossed and hunched over, you give this, you you really detract from how much you're, you're wanting to sure. get from the clients. And so we're paying attention to that. And so we really focus on that sort of stuff, but also your, your written communication, because that is yes. a stellar point that's throughout the profession, both in how we communicate with our clients, sending them home with instructions. We need to have clear things that a layperson can read that doesn't necessarily know what BID means. And they're like, why do you want me to make a what bid on this? What does BID mean? Um, it's Latin, and it breaks down on the English <laughs> translation to twice a day. Oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, so, but then, and but you also need to be able to write on the on the medical side, so that when yes. you are transferring something to to a tertiary facility like UF, mm-hmm. sending in a referral, you can communicate even even within each other within a private practice and just between doctors, communicate much more effectively instead of just saying there's scabs, saying there's macules, or there's mm-hmm. you know kind of getting more specific on that medical yes. breakdown. Wow, I, I could talk. We could talk about communication. I think all day, and I want you guys to know at home, Doctor Wurz is facing me right now. Her body language is open. She's using her hands. We're making eye contact. So she's definitely putting into practice what she teaches the students. So okay, what I'm hearing is communication is key. I really Absolutely. like hearing about the phone. I have so many students get nervous on the phone, mm-hmm. and that is huge. You have to make the calls to the clients yeah. and other veterinarians and the pharmacists. So. Um, For those of you who love to text more than you love to be on the phone, maybe start practicing being on the phone a little bit more. So we're going to teach our students how to communicate Mm -hmm. verbally, physically, you know, with writing. Um, What are the, you mentioned finding a vein. Mm -hmm. What are a couple other things that we want to make sure our students feel really comfortable that they're going to do on the daily basis? The biggest thing is doing that full physical exam, Mm -hmm. being able to listen to the heart and lungs, palpate the abdomen know what the eyes and ears should be looking like, as well as knowing how to safely and comfortably look in the mouth of all of our species. Yes. Um, Because that's a not always the most appreciated thing. Yeah. And so there are so many diagnostics diagnostic (laughs) things that we can get from just a physical exam, just using our hands, using using our eyes and all of our senses Mm. without even touching any extra equipment. Yeah. And so that's really a key thing and that we we baby step our way through that throughout the clinical skills course and mm-hmm. we've got bits of it in starting that first semester listening to heart and lungs mm-hmm. learning what that should sound like um how to count respiratory rates, heart rates, but also feeling for pulses in different areas of the body. We build through that with the second semester, getting into murmurs, getting into abdominal palpation Mm -hmm. and oral exams, and just kind of building our way into that. But that 
even one of our internists when he was doing a lab with me I think it blew the students minds that he actually said flat out if you take away everything else and I can have one thing my physical exam is it Mm. Um, because about 80% of your diagnosis is coming from that physical exam so we should never (coughs) discount or discredit that foundational knowledge that we have for the physical exam it sounds to me kind of like triage mm-hmm. yeah that's very much that's our first step is just making sure everything looks right sounds right feels right mm-hmm. and then if it doesn't what should we do next then what do we do mm-hmm. perfect mm-hmm. can you talk to me about any interesting um, interactions you've had with clients where your training came in very handy what are some experiences that it's like hey you want to take this seriously because this could happen mm-hmm um, so well, I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> <laughs> so offhand, I mean, it kind of goes back to the body language thing of just kind of changing and really responding to how the owner's body language is communicating to me mm. is if, because sometimes when you tell people bad news, they get upset. Of course. And some people's reaction to that upset is to go internal and kind of shut down, mm. in which case kind of using that communication training to recognize what they're doing, that they're rolling in and kind of going internal, going. And then I, I tend to be a floor sitter when I'm in exam rooms mm. so that they feel like they can communicate and I'm not trying to take charge of the situation. Sure. Having said that, if you've got that other person who you give them bad news and they immediately get angry because they need someone to be angry at, yeah, is remembering, A, don't take it personally. Yes. And B, being able to make sure that I don't feel like I need to step down. Mm-hmm. And so in those situations, kind of taking that, taking that lead to take the stand. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be afraid to tell people when they're yelling that, you know, okay, I'm going to step out and I'll come back in when you're calm. Right. Um, and that's sometimes that's something we need to do. It's not often, but it, it has happened. Um, but really just kind of using that communication training to gauge where my owner's at, make sure that they're hearing what I'm saying, not just listening. Oh, um, whoa. We need to say that again. <laughs> say it again. So just making sure that they're that the owner's actually getting and, and hearing mm. and internalizing what I'm telling them and what I'm asking them to do yes. or telling them is going on with their animal and not just listening and glossing over because they're trying to figure out what's for dinner that night or right. something like that. Right. So that's a, a key part in, in not just – us communicating over, but reading the communication back from the client. Yeah. So I hear a lot of um, points that we bring up with our students during our client simulations. So active listening, reflective listening, yeah, mirroring mm-hmm. what the other, what the client is doing, reading the room, um, keeping yourself safe. So if the client does react and respond in an aggressive or volatile way, stepping out, feeling comfortable mm-hmm. to step out, you guys don't need to be the hero. You don't need to try and calm them down. Just give them a break. Um, but also, yeah, for the for the folks who internalize the information, if you are realizing that the bad news that you gave them, they're now going inside, you might need to give them another break too maybe write down what you told them to make mm-hmm. sure that they can hear it later because maybe they were listening and not hearing. So all good points in the clinic and in life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. So now, uh, Dr. Wurz, I like to ask everybody, you know, what haven't I asked you? What do our students, our pre-vet students need to hear from you? Whether it's about clinical skills, whether it's about um, progressing to veterinary medicine, the field in general, what, what do they, what message do you want to send them? My, my biggest message is have fun, whatever you're doing, have fun with it. I, I became a vet because I have fun working with the animals. 
it's you know I like all of it I like I like the goods and the bads mm-hmm. they kind of keep each other in perspective um, but enjoy what you're doing and you're going to learn so much more when you're doing that and that's both for an undergrad if mm-hmm. you're enjoying those classes if you think about those classes that you're like oh my gosh I don't want to be here you don't generally take away as much and so really for sure focus on enjoying enjoying your time and you're going to get so much more out of it um, and and be totally willing to take take a year and kind Agreed. of figure out life, figure yes. out what you want to do and be able to move forward from there, but also be flexible. Mm-hmm. Most people enter vet school thinking they're going to practice X mm-hmm. and a fair number come out practicing something different, yes. practicing Y. So just being willing to be flexible and go with, okay, which direction in this field is is what I'm having fun with yeah um and be able to be willing to to take that leap and go down that fun route and it's amazing the career you can have when you're having fun with what you're doing yeah you guys want to love Mondays as much as you love Fridays I want mm-hmm. you to want to come to work and enjoy it speaking of fun Dr. Wurz and I do play volleyball uh often so she definitely does know how to have fun and have a nice work-life balance Um, So I think that's wonderful advice to pick something that you love, take time off to learn what you like, to grow a little bit more, and just know, yeah, be flexible. You can change a lot in veterinary medicine. That's one of the things I hear the most is Mm -hmm. everybody's like, I thought I was going to do dermatology, and then I ended up doing therio or surgery, or or they got their PhD, and now they want to do research. So there's so many options. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dr. Wurst, thank you for being on the podcast today. You are very welcome. It's my pleasure. I'm excited to hear all of our pre-vets wonderful communication with me and with future interviewers when they get ready to go to vet school. I'm Alex Avellino, and we'll talk to you soon.